You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, day jobs, creative inspiration, and block, bad habits, mental health, and the fleeting sense of sanity, worth, and dignity that we all chase under capitalism. We talk about trauma. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and the mirage of meritocracy. Each week, artists, designers, losers, dirtbag, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, yogis, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson, in a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you want to confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on Self Worst. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Self Worst. This week, we're talking to yoga instructor extraordinaire Jason Orell. Uh, he's based in New York here. I've taken classes with him. He's great. I highly recommend, um, you know, if you're in the New York area, although in the zoom age, it doesn't really matter. You can take a virtual class with the guy. He'd like that. Do it. We put a link, uh, you know, to all of his, his stuff in the show notes, which, you know, of course we did. It's all there. Just look at it on your little on your little computer, your little palm computer that you keep in your hand, in your pocket. It's ruining your life. Right there. You're listening to it on this thing. Just go right there. Click the little link. Do something good with it. Right? Oh, fun fact about this episode. It was in person. We were actually sitting across the table from each other. So if it sounds more realistic or or natural or intimate that's why we're fully vaccinated him and i everybody around and that's oh it's so exciting it's so nice to get back it was so nice to just like sit in the same like literally hold space with somebody and you know uh look them in the eye eye contact it's a good and sometimes uncomfortable thing. We talk about that, actually, in this episode. But, as you will find, uh, he uh, has a very nice, soothing voice, which is a must as a yoga teacher, of course. And he's also really just naturally funny. Um, this is one of the only times I've laughed out loud in, in like, a yoga class. Uh, taking it, and, and not laughing at the teacher for saying some, like, ridiculous you know, uh, uh, woo-woo kind of shit, but like saying something that's genuinely like, oh, that was funny kind of stuff. Um, so I liked him right away as a teacher. Um, I mean, not like, you know, like gut splitting laughter. I'm not like laughing hard while in, you know, wheel pose. That could be dangerous. He wouldn't do that to you, but you know, a little chuckle, a chortle. Oh, that's, that's what a chortle is. That's what it sounds like to me in my head. A chortle. Anyway, um, having a good week. Uh, we'll get to the talk. I'm, I'm not going to rant at you too long, but, you know, let's check in real quick. Having a good week. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful day today. 
And it was rainy yesterday, but you know what? Fuck it. It was actually kind of nice. You got the right rain gear on. You're walking dogs out in the rain. You got a good waterproof top layer. Rain pants, a must. Rainproof boots, a must. Something, you know, I've found a Timberland is nice. The L.L. Bean duck boots, they're, they're a little, the rubber is a little too uh, unbreathable. Feet get all wet with sweat on the ins inside. It's like a humidor. It's, ugh. It's, a little, it's a little much. They look nice, though. But Tim's, anyway. Um, and, you, you know, you just, uh, you go out there and you just get sprinkled by the cool rain. It's nice. But today, oh my god, gorgeous. I was very energized uh, today. Um, and uh, was was thinking so hard about, you know, so excited about putting this podcast out that I was just like thinking about this opening monologue and everything in my, uh, in my head, biking up to my first walk. And I went to the wrong house. That's how engrossed in thought I was. And I was like, oh shit, I was on schedule for a minute there and I had to bike to the other house. Um, but uh, now I'm kind of tired. I don't know. I'm, uh, I waited too long. It's like after nine o'clock uh, recording this intro. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I had to edit after I got home, had to make dinner, um, you know, had to, had to take out the dog, had to, I'm doing some research on another guest uh, who's coming up, researching some of their material. I'm not going to say who. It's going to hold you in suspense, but it's very exciting. It's a very cool guest coming up, and I've been looking at some of their work um, and uh, preparing for that because I'm recording. I recorded this one Sunday, recording two more this week, and I'm going to be a guest on our friend Natalie Wall's podcast coming up. Uh, we're recording sometime this week, and uh, it's fun to guest on other podcasts. I love crossing over onto other podcasts. That's how you do it. We're so we're excited about that. Um, check out my episode with her, Natalie Wall. She's been on the show before. Um, please visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash selfworst. I am actually making bonus content now. I'm actually doing the thing. I've got another uh, episode of Depression Bangers coming up. I've got two coming up. One's going to be about Blood Orange. One's going to be about uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. And I got one coming up that's a little, I've got a little less, it's a little hazy coming up for uh, Joy Division. But it's going to be Blood Orange or ne Neutral Milk Hotel coming up uh, later this week. Which one will it be? Not going to tell you. Again, suspense. Keep you invested. Cliffhangers. Okay? If you want to know, subscribe to the Patreon. Subscribe to the Patreon this week, and I'll tell you beforehand which one I'm going to do. How about that? Hmm? Enticing. Just a dollar a month. Ah. Anyway, come on. Uh, so, I, I, like I said, I don't have much to say other than we are in the nicest time of the year right now. And just try and enjoy it. Just go look at the cherry blossoms. Go look at the fucking magnolia. The leaves are already starting to fall of the leaves. The blossoms are already starting to fall off of the magnolias. They're in like full bloom, but they like drop right away. You gotta catch that shit. Not literally, but you gotta like get there and look at it. And you can catch one if you want. 
that if you think it's gonna like a genie's gonna a tree genie's gonna grant a wish if you catch a blossom sounds right but you know just get out there get out to prospect park or wherever you're, you are and uh walk around take in the fresh air i have to because it's my job and it's my uh earned right as a dog walker somebody who has to be out there every single day whether the weather is fucking nice or not this is i get to go out and experience the very lovely days and get paid to do so so that's a perk i would say of my job but you know Stop and literally smell the roses, right? Life is, like, so ephemeral, man. You know? It's like I was just watching that movie, Jack. With uh, Robin Williams, you know? It was, and, and the thing that that movie, that classic film, Francis Ford Coppola, magnum opus, taught us, was that, you know, life is fleeting. Old-ass... Robin Williams says that at the end of the movie. Spoilers. And, uh, you know, he's right. Really makes you think that movie. Anyway. I hope, I hope you're enjoying this lovely weather. I hope you have lovely weather where you are. I know it's getting... There's like another fucking cold snap in the upper Midwest happening today. God damn it. Like, I would kill myself. I've lived there. And when it snows in April, like, that is, like, where's your god now kind of territory. Like, that is just straight up, I don't know, like, ugh. But anyway, enough of this, enough of this, enough of this. Okay, we are going right now, right now, right now, right now, to our talk with Jason Orell. Yeah, um, so which which ones uh, have you listened to? Um, I listened to the the comedian where you gave this opening rant about a place for straight white men to be oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah, have yeah, yeah. vulnerable spaces which <laughs> I totally support I think it's great <laughs> I, I, I I went a little like I listened back to that one and was just like man I kind of went on for a minute <laughs> I didn't great, know I, had, I didn't know I had that much to get off my chest how's the how's the How's it going, the podcast? Are you getting traction? It's going okay. I mean, I don't have a whole ton of listeners, but, like, I'm getting more and more. And, like, I think a big uh, part of it has been just being more present on Instagram yeah. and, and and having, like, a secondary promotion platform rather than just sort of, like, putting it, promoting it on my own Twitter and my own Instagram, like, having its own area and stuff like that. Um but I mean, it could, it always has room to grow. It can really only go up, you know? So that's, that's just where we're at. Are you in, were you into stand up? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I did like open mics and stuff, but like, didn't, I couldn't quite stomach it. Like I, I'm sort of a, <laughs> uh, the reason I have so many comedians on is a, they're good at talking and yeah. they're, you know, they're like funny and engaging. And B, you know, they're down, a lot of them are down to talk about mental health stuff because they're all fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and C, like, I'm kind of a frustrated comedian myself, sure. you know? So it's just like, uh, you know, like, I that same guest I had on, uh, the one you listened to, um, he mentioned this podcast on another 
uh, on on his own show. Yeah. Um, he was just like, yeah, I went on this one guy's podcast, and I don't think he's like a comedian or anything, but you know, we just like talked about the nature of masculinity for like two hours, and <laughs> it was I had a great time. I just I had no idea who he was, and like my takeaway from that, rather than absorbing like, oh, he had a good time and he liked my podcast and he's talking about it on his podcast, was just like, oh man, you're right. I'm not a comic. I'm a nobody. Nobody likes me. And <laughs> just like got in my head like I'm a fucking fraud and like I'm a interloper and all of this shit and was like depressed the rest of the day yeah so that is kind of why uh i my podcast and my presence in the world is sort of limited as it is you know uh because uh i just don't i i it's hard for me to put yourself put put myself out there i feel you know what i mean yeah Yeah, is that that's the thing for you too right yeah totally yeah can you talk about that can you expound on that a little bit um i find that whenever I get to the place where I want to put or where I've like finished something, then I just feel completely lost, completely blank. Like I made an album over quarantine and I finished it. I'm proud of it. And like, what do I do? I have no idea. Right. You're like uh, embarrassed or something to promote it or you feel stupid or you feel like like, I have no idea where if I can see a path, I'm good. Mm. If I just see like empty space and I have to make my path, then that's when I start freaking out. I listened to a little bit of it earlier. It's like house music. Mostly, yeah. Right? Like gloomy house. I would gloomy house. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like that's, that's a whole world of music that I just like never really delved into. But like, I know like, I mean a lot of music heads like really swear by house and it's like, if you're, you're into it, you're into it. You know, yeah. Well, like, that's my favorite. That is my world of music. And it's weird because it contrasts with, um, uh, with like the wellness yoga thing, because, um, there's not a lot of good health decisions that go in with the rave lifestyle. (laughs) I like to wake up at five, uh, but maybe like once, twice a year, I'll go to bed at like seven. (laughs) Sure. You gotta do, you know, you gotta let your hair down. So to speak, um, (laughs) the the yin and the yang, you know, like I, I, I feel that like I, you know, I exercise every day and I also smoke weed pretty much close to every day. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, you gotta like, I, I know people like some of my trainers are like fully vegan, straight edge, like don't do anything yeah. and, and they're like exercising every day. And I'm like, I don't know how you do that, bro. Like, that's really cool. But like, I need something, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, have you, uh, gone through periods where you're just like, I'm not going to do any of that stuff and I'm just going to like try like the wellness path. Yeah. For like most of my twenties, most of your twenties, like that. Were, most yeah. of my twenties, I was a homebody. I was very relationship focused and career focused. And it, I kind of had like a, I had like a party renaissance when I was like 31, 32. Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. fun. Yeah. I get yeah. that. Like, I feel like that's a better place to do it. Honestly. I know yeah, well, you're a grown up first yeah. of all. And then like, uh, you don't have to sneak around or anything like yeah. that. You're a little more aware of what you can tolerate. Yeah. And, uh, and then it, it's special. Like when you're a kid, you just want to do everything crazy. But like when you're a grown up, then that one little crazy thing is like, Ooh, that was special. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your brain is fully gelled. Like I, I didn't start smoking weed until I was like in my mid twenties. Oh, good um, for you. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's, you know, like I was just like, I just didn't, I never really wanted to, you know? Um, and, and I feel like that's a better time to start because you're, yeah, your, your brain is like fully like baked and cooled off, you know, and it's like ready to go. You're, you're, you're kind of on a path. Like you have some sort of like career trajectory you're like 
not going to just like discover weed in like high school and be like, well, I'm just a weed guy now, you know? And like, that's just my life. Cause it, you know, it can kind of stifle your momentum. I well, guess. something about going to art school really gets you into the, uh, mind expanding, uh, paradigm i think <laughs> yeah that's true i mean i didn't i didn't really do any hallucinogens in no that's not true i did like once or twice in in art school but like it wasn't until like later it wasn't until like i moved to new york that i was like uh that i took shrooms that i took acid that i did any of that stuff um still haven't done the big one you know the dmt one like that's the one that i'm oh. i'm waiting on you know, <laughs> the, the the million dollar joe rogan question. oh my god well that's 10 <laughs> minutes of your life yeah you i guess so. Back, so i don't know um so why don't we kind of um shift a little bit and uh go towards like i don't know the beginning like give us a little bit of an origin story because i like the way you laid out your answers in the pre-interview okay um in terms of just sort of the the, the path of like mm-hmm. it all like narratively really makes sense to me so um can you talk a little bit about just like when you were you know when you were a kid growing up give us a, a jason origin story yeah i uh grew up in the southwest in new mexico and texas but both my parents are yankees uh my dad was a preacher until i was 13 what uh denomination methodist methodist okay. which is a pretty chill as far as they go uh religions um but i never really thought of my parents as being like religious we always did the things of my mom taught sunday school had like church christmas party at our house and stuff like that but it never felt like my dad was really like a man of the cloth like he wore the cloth but he wasn't like of it you know what i'm saying right um and my mom my mom was kind of along for the ride uh what did she do she just worked various jobs she comes from like a like a business wealthy family and she just did kind of whatever jobs would be around when my dad was around the thing is that we had to move around like every two to three years because that's what they do when you're a preacher they send you here for a little while then there and then maybe when you're more experienced they'll stick you at a place for like 10 years or something like that but my dad never really got to to that so but my growing up was very liberal like Mm. uh when i was 11 i got my ear pierced my parents let me and even though the people in the church thought it was fucked up (laughs) right but uh they never really had a problem with it but um yeah when uh did you have the first inkling that you're gay um you know when i was like five i remember liking this like mermaid toy that was like clearly for girls and i remember telling some of my friends that i liked it and they like let me know that <laughs> it was for girls and, and then we shut that up for a little while and then probably by the time i was 10 i was like uh in uh in, i remember being like in the grocery store with my mom listening to some uh department store bangers mm-hmm. and uh she would let me like hang out with the comic books and the magazines and go shopping and i remember like stealing like pictures out of like men's workout, like ripping the <laughs> pages out, bringing them home, hiding them. But I didn't really know what I was doing when I was 10. I was right. Just you're like, just like, I'm drawn to this. I'm just this like, type of, yeah, yeah, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then what's funny is that like my dad uh, actually um, got basically pushed out of the church when I was 13 because he was advocating for the 
acceptance of gay people. He had no idea I was gay or anything, mm. but it's just lucky that uh, I had a pretty easy ride once I came out comparatively. Right. They yeah. were pretty chill about yeah, it. Yeah, they were chill about it. Yeah. That that must have been nice. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, it, it goes a couple of ways with that. And, and you know, it can be like a really uh, nerve wracking thing, I imagine. But, uh, you know, what was watching him, you know, sort of stand up for that and, and get kicked out of the church because of it? What was how did that feel? Um, one thing I remember is like I went to some private schools when I was in like late elementary early middle school and one of them was a Montessori school but it was run by like some church people and they uh in their kind of creationism section when they talked about Adam and Eve and you know whatever stuff they talked about instead of science yeah. uh they they did I remember them saying that like gay people brought AIDS upon themselves and I remember telling my parents and them telling me that that's not true. And then I told the school teachers that my parents said that wasn't right. true. And so it's kind of a, a how'd that go? How'd they take that? Well, it was like the start of my, I guess, like early adolescent um, discipline problem hellhole that I was in. Mm. So I was just very anti-authority, which I really relate to being a preacher's kid because my dad was this authority figure but i could see i think looking back behind the scenes how he was like a wreck and um you know just the family situation wasn't that great and so i think that contrast of having like an authority figure out there but i can see that behind the curtain he's right not actually enacting that authority i think it gave me a huge problem with all authority so yeah i mean that that can be a good thing and a bad thing though i think because if you i i think that more people need that critical thinking skill you know when it comes to just blindly trusting somebody who is in some position of authority you know be it a, a spiritual leader or a you know a political figure or or like any even just like the the amount of stock that people put into like fucking celebrity podcasters is just like crazy yeah, totally. you know just like people just like worship at the altar of like a guy like joe rogan is like he's a dummy you know like he's not that bright like, i mean i don't think he's that dumb but like i under well i guess what i'll say is that i feel like i'm lucky that my dad was a preacher because i learned this distrust of authority that is make it so that like i'll never join a cult yeah. Because I could just never go that far. I would start seeing the bullshit um, at a certain point. And I think that's a good thing. Although it does produce like a sense of nihilism that I deal with sometimes well and sometimes not. It's hard for me to believe in things generally. Mm. So there's always going to be part of me that's like looking for some to like pop the balloon or some inflict some kind of like stab and right. some like authority figure yeah right yeah no i can i can see that i mean like i i feel like sometimes i might have the opposite problem where i'm constantly disappointed with people you know <laughs> because like i because i do want to believe that there there is somebody who i can look to and trust for you know so, for some sort of answers for things to kind of make sense and like all i've really discovered is that you can kind of, it's okay to sort of cherry pick 
You know, it's okay to just be like, this person's right about this kind of stuff and I can apply that to my life, but they're way off about a bunch of other shit and I'm just going to be like, no, thank you. Well, those people are actually my favorite because like, I think that there's something about trying to pick the good part out of like a controversial figure. And Mm -hmm. I especially think nowadays when everything needs to be so sanitized, like with like the woke thing that like people are very, uh, people need to have this kind of pure uh, presentation of their beliefs and they all need to be consistent, but nobody's really like that. And uh, my favorite people are the kind of people I can grab some great ideas from and also like make other people think like, Ew, you like him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned Jordan Peterson as one of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jordan Peterson was a really important figure for me, actually, in the hmm. last four years. Um, I was in like a, a relationship, marriage for my basically my whole adult life from college until about four years ago. And uh, when it fell apart unexpectedly and predictably, mm-hmm. I was really looking for some moral guidance and I never really heard of who this guy was. I just heard him on a podcast and I was like, wow, this guy's talking about being responsible for your life. And I just really needed to hear that. I really needed to hear that. Like if you don't show up for things, they could go and that there's likely to be a piece of you that's, aiming downward and not just upward and to be aware of that. And that's what I really think like his big message is besides the political, the trans stuff or whatever, his big message is like life is suffering and that's just like the baseline. And then people make it worse by being assholes and fucked up and not taking responsibility for themselves. And, you know, for somebody who took for granted something great that they had and then lost it, which is how I felt about your relationship, about my relationship. I was really open to the idea that, um, I could take more responsibility, uh, Mm. in my life. And, uh, I probably listened to over like 200 hours of his lectures and he's just a very charismatic speaker. And, uh, I will say though, that I think he proves the limits of his own outlook because um if you listen to that much of his lectures you recognize that he's really hard on himself and that his idea that like people need to take responsibility is like maybe more than people actually need to take and his wife got um terminal cancer and he became addicted to benzos and like then put himself in this like horrible like coma and then came out of it with like half the brain he used to which just goes to show you that like at a certain point you have to give it up to god like you might be responsible for a lot but if you put too much on that on yourself then you're just really going to grind yourself down and not be really actually helpful to the people around you and that's kind of where i am right now i'm kind of right in the the self-acceptance trip yeah. right now. That's yeah. good. That seems like a good place to be. You know, like, and I get that. Like, there is sort of like a medium that you need to find between being, you know, patient and compassionate with yourself and reaching out for help and also just, you know, kind of growing up and taking responsibility for yourself, which I feel like, you know, uh, as somebody, you know, like you from from sort of like a, a, a very, like, understanding, cool, chill, like, liberal family, like, that's all great but like i think what i needed to maybe learn a lot myself was just like 
yeah, but also like nobody's going to do it for you and you're going to have to like work hard and like people don't give a shit. Like the world, I'm sorry, doesn't give a shit about you and you're going to have to like find a place where people do, you know? And um, it's a hard reality to face, but like I think the sooner that you stop expecting uh, the world really to care much about your problems, then you can start working on them. But the flip side of that to me is that you also, like, I try and keep that in mind with myself, but I also try and apply that same sort of level of patience and compassion with other people who are in situations that I don't understand and try and not just be like, well, they need to just like, you know, do this or that, or like try and prescribe pro, you know, uh, solutions. Clean your room. Yeah, clean your Jordan room. Peters, wash wash your penis or whatever <laughs> he says. You know, like, like that kind of shit where I'm just like, I don't know their fucking life. And like, I, you know, I can offer my own perspective and that's what I hope like this podcast offers is my own perspective and my own, uh, like ways. And, and the reason I have guests on is that I want to hear other people's ideas of what to, you know, uh, like tools to apply because they, you know, everybody has a different experience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being open to that with, without also just, you know, kind of blindly following, you know, like, like I said yeah. before, you know? Well, I think that those two actually can go together because like, I think if you are coming from like a more confident place of like being like responsible, like feeling like, I know where I'm going, which I don't feel all the time, but sometimes, right? (laughs) Then when other people are acting crazy or just doing things that just you don't agree with, it doesn't become this like battle. It doesn't become this like private, like, oh, they're so fucked up. What is going wrong with them? Why don't they? Which is what I always run into. It's like somebody's walking up the stairs too slow or somebody's Mm -hmm. like not doing what I feel like they should be doing. But I think there's something in this middle that you were talking about where it's like you can't bend the world to your will. Yeah. I think like in terms of like a spiritual thing, like I think the world like in the big, this kind of spiritual bigness of the world, you're simultaneously like more responsible and less responsible for what happens to you. Yeah. Like you need to take control of your life and what you can, but you also have to realize like there's so much that you, a lot of it's out of your fucking hands. And that's, I don't know. That's kind of where you can be like, Oh, have that sublime kind of experience. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the, you know, it's been a big conversation in my head as I, you know, uh, think about just the world and the way I'd like it personally to be set up versus, you know, like uh, individualism versus collectivism. And I tend to lean socially more towards a collective attitude towards how society should be shaped because that's what society is to me. You know, it's like we, we all function together and we all work towards something. And the idea, like, you know, especially like, I think it, it, it got kind of, it reared its head really bad during the pandemic that it was just like American culture is so about like your own personal freedoms versus the freedoms of other people like your freedom to like go wherever you want without a mask and do what you want versus other people's freedom to not get sick you know like and that was that was sort of the question that 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 kept uh kind of coming up you know and 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 seemed to be that 
you know, a lot of America and American society seem to, you know, pick the former, you know? Well, you know, I'm not so sure because I think that even in the like, uh, even let's say like liberal people who are very uh, fastidious about lockdown mm. and stuff like that, I think that, you know, a lot of that is very self-congratulatory and they don't, they don't acknowledge the way that they offload risk onto other people because they I've read that the people who follow the pandemic restrictions the most are like well-off, younger, yeah. liberal, white people. Right. And so they're so concerned about performing this kind of how great they are by being safe. But really what they're doing is like offloading their risk onto like the Instacart people right. and the Amazon, Amazon people. Drivers. And it's like you're young and healthy and you have a good job. You could go to the grocery store. And I think that there is a kind of nasty kind of privileged individualism in the like stay at home. And I'm so good about how good mm. I stay home that um I wish would be acknowledged more. And there's my preacher's kid poking yep, holes into these motherfuckers. <laughs> I feel you though, dude. Like, I mean, that is a thing. Like the moralizing of it. Like I'm, you know, I, I forget where I saw it. It was like a reductress article or an onion article or something where it's like, it was like person, like this person is panicked because like now that the pandemic is ending, they have to find like a new way to feel superior. To people. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's just like, I, yeah, that's, yeah, I get it. Like, I mean, you know, like I, there's only so much again like you can only control yourself right so yeah. like you know and and like it's upsetting to 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 see the way that like uh it feels like uh the powers that be sort of turn their backs and we're just like you're on your own here and we're you know because people got to make money and that's it and we're, we're all just like okay cool so i guess it's up to us as people to just sort of behave collectively and yeah. then that's just not going to fucking happen. <laughs> so it was, it was a real, it was a real bummer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's see, you were, um, you're, you're a yoga instructor now. Yeah. Um, and, and you're in really good shape. Yeah. Um, and so, but talk about like, you mentioned a couple of times that you were, um, you were a fat kid growing yeah. up. Yeah. Talk, huh? talk a little bit about that and that experience. Um, I think, in the hole, the fat was hiding the gay. Mm. Um, How fat are we talking? I think the most I weighed was maybe like 220 pounds mm. at like age 16. Okay, yeah, like that's, that. that's pretty chunky. Yeah, so that's like, yeah, eight, I don't know, I weigh like 165 now. So that's mm. big, yeah. And I, I probably started gaining weight when I was like 10. And um, about right the time that I started having you know, boy desires. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think like my parents got on me about like getting on a diet or something like that. And that kind of made it worse. My mom was also constantly like dieting and constantly just very negative about her body image. Yeah. See and, that, that can be yeah. like even more than like, uh, I've heard it said that it can even more than some a parent directing it at you just the way that they treat themselves and talk to themselves like really sets a template yeah and i really picked up on that and then i don't really know how it evolved and i didn't even really like acknowledge this to myself until you know i was an adult but then i it kind of evolved into bulimia and that was just very private like i never would there was no way for in that I was going to seek help on that. Uh, I was just a very alone and lonely 
kid and I recognize now that I actually needed a lot of help, but I wouldn't, I don't feel like I trusted anybody to ask them for help. Right, the authority thing again. Yeah, and yeah. and just there was a lot of chaos going on in my family that just I was able to kind of escape just by withdrawing. So if I could just be fine, quote unquote, like then I wouldn't, you know, be involved in, I guess, some painful kind of mess, but it did kind of eat me up inside. And I started losing weight, like right after I came out, I think it got, it was helped a little bit by, um, like when I was 16, I started going to raves when I moved from a small town to a big city of Houston, Texas. And, you know, just, I kind of found my universe there. I got really into dancing and expressing myself physically. And then like, you know, taking drugs all night, um, kind of got me more social with people and right. more into, I guess, burning <laughs> energy. Yeah. I mean, like most, <laughs> most club drugs kind of lean towards losing weight. They you know? do. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, uh -huh. there's also and, that. Yeah. And the staying up one night per week as a kind yeah. of lifestyle does do that. But that, and it definitely was like the, once I came out, it just kind of started just leaving me because I think that, you know, there was this kind of the physical pleasure of attraction hmm. was seemed just wrong to me. And so I think I substituted with this other kind of like, here's a, a physical pleasure that I self-medicating with food. Yeah. Kind of self-medicating. What were your, what were your like go-tos with, with like food? Did you did you not have like, like a, a not like, a special this is my, food this is my fucking heroin. not as much a food as like a process as of like mm. sneaking it of ah. like I'm not supposed to be having this and and then I can really relate it to like being gay because it was this kind of sneaking right. thing nobody Clandestine was supposed to know kind of yeah and then <clears throat> once I got to college um, in my freshman year I I had lost weight but then like somebody had Adderall in my floor and mm -hmm. they were selling it and it just became like a thing. Me and my friends would just like do Adderall and do our art school homework. And, um, I got, I lost the, you'll drop weight some weight on that, Adderall. I've, I've that, taken Adderall yeah, before. And, and yeah, I lost when like I went home, pounds. like my first Christmas after college, I like freaked my parents out. Like I looked just way different than they were. You were like too skinny maybe. Uh, probably yeah. um but just they had never really uh seen me like that and i think it was kind of scary for them but it wasn't too far after that that i kind of started on this like fitness journey and mm -hmm. i got really into working out and um and you know they're still related i think like the 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 fitness thing became like a perfectionist way to like address the body image thing that was like a little more acceptable and I could eventually turn into a career. But I do see how it's still, there's still like a non-acceptance under there. And I know that like a lot of people in the fitness industry go through that, like yeah. that. Um, I think, yeah, perfectionism coming from, you know, perfectionism, eating disorders, yeah. they're all about like control, right? Yeah. And I think I was able to turn something that I found very shameful, which is being overweight and 
um, having an eating disorder into something that I could be really proud and actually feel better than other people about, which was like right. the fitness and then yoga and becoming like a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the fitness industry has like the standards are so fucking high and <laughs> like, I can't meet you, them. You okay. So <laughs> I mean, you really just yeah, can't, like, you, yeah. like I've, you hit a threshold if you really want to live like a normal person and you're not taking like HGH or you're not taking like you know, like you see the way like dudes in like, you know, the, the, the magazines that you used to jerk off to, um, <laughs> like they, like the bodies on those guys are just like, that's not a, that's not real. That's not, I mean, you can, you can do it, but like, that's your life. Yeah. You and know? it's this really intense and unhealthy. Well, yeah. I mean, it's process. not even healthy. Like, yeah. I mean, you, like you think about like Brad Pitt in fight club, he weighed like what? A hundred and. 40 something really was, yeah he I was so small and like you know to get your muscles to look like that you have to be like dehydrated yeah. you have to take all these diuretics and shit like you know and it's not sustainable like because you'll lose the fat around your brain if you drop weight and then you like it starts to like really fuck you up you know and like so you can look like that and it looks cool on camera but then like you know so does smoking and that'll fucking kill you too yeah you know? yeah actually a friend of mine was saying uh not too long ago and i i agreed with her in some way that she felt that the body image pressures on men are starting to be more intense than they are on women because and i understand the cultural thing but yeah. i think her point was that um the body standards that are put on men are like not only do you have to be big but you also have to be like small which is just a really intense combination you yeah. have to be like super powerful but you also have to have like zero fat and yeah. uh that is actually a really intense training regimen and eating regimen yeah. that's not really like sustainable it's not, it's not, not that i've ever tried it but, no but, but it's like, like why would you it sounds fucking <laughs> miserable you have to like get up at like 4 a.m like a psychopath you can't like, drink like water for like five days like, yeah, yeah it's ridiculous and so like you know i mean i i kind i almost agree like that i mean I know and I, I can only imagine the standards that women are held to. Um, and and, you know, like I, I'm glad that that's starting to kind of shift and change and that more different types of bodies are being accepted, um, you know, so far as like female bodies. And there's, you know, like, I mean, uh, my Instagram <laughs> like is just like inundated with like curvy models now because like I, I keep liking you know, like fucking London Andrews and, and, uh, what's her name from, uh, America's next top model. Well, this is maybe where the yeah, straight like, world is like yeah. progressed because my Instagram is just full of like hot fit dudes. Yeah. And like they all look the same, even though I don't even follow hot fit dudes on Instagram. I think it just knows how long my eyes are looking at that thing. Yeah. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, it knows, it knows, you know, it's, it's like dug into your, into your id. You know, the Instagram, it just, it, it looks backward into you. It does. You know? Yeah, it does. <laughs> but yeah, like, like I mean, unproductive therapy. <laughs> it would be great. Like, I would love to see a world where, you know, there are like, I mean, and it's maybe starting to happen in some circles. And like, honestly, like this isn't my world, but, you know, just, uh, you know, celebrating different types of male bodies as well. You know, the same sort of like, oh, here's like a like kind of chunky dude with like back hair and like he's hot too. And like people find this attractive. I know people who find that kind of body attractive. You yeah. Know? And like it's a whole thing like, you know, so it's but yeah, I mean, you're right, especially like in the straight world, I think like the type of body that a dude 
is expected or like is supposed to have oftentimes is just like it's completely ridiculous my kettlebell trainer i started doing kettlebells over uh-huh. last summer and he's great uh, and he's and he's fucking jacked and he's so strong and like really like and he's like a black belt and shit like he's really fucking physically fit but he was saying that he goes on his tiktok and it's all like bodybuilder dudes who just like uh give him shit for his body because he's not like he doesn't have like super tone and like definition and like he doesn't have like a bodybuilder body he has like a strong guy body Mm -hmm. so and and it's just like it's never enough and he looks fucking great and he still talks about how he has like body dysmorphia and like and and he hates his body and is like uncomfortable not wearing a shirt and it's like that's crazy but it's it's totally understandable and then the the thing about being like in, in the fitness world is that you're always like performing and you're mm. always kind of like out there. And, you know, I think yoga, the it's a little more chill mm-hmm. maybe than like maybe like the personal training kind of world. But like still there's this aspect of like you got to look the part. Right. And you have to look like you're you're eating what you're serving you know Mm -hmm. so which i like because it makes me feel really good about myself but you know at the same time it's like there are some times where it's a little bit hollowing where you're just like okay i'm just putting on the face and going out and doing this and in in that way it actually makes me a lot like my dad (laughs) my preacher dad what are your uh favorite and least favorite things about your your body wow nobody's ever asked me that um um you can do favorite or least favorite first whichever okay my least favorite is that i have scoliosis and it causes me back pain and um and i wish it wasn't there um because i wish i just had a kind of clean slate to work with that i could just continually improve but a lot of what i have to do with my practice is like maintenance like if my back has pain i have to i have tools that i can work with it but it just yeah it just kind of makes me wish like oh i wish i had more of like a a symmetry more symmetry more perfection and that i wouldn't didn't have to deal with pain um and i feel like i uh, i have all the tools to fix it but sometimes i think the shame about about having scoliosis makes me actually not want to address it and i think there's part of me that would rather deal with the pain than actually do something that's good for myself right um yeah and then my favorite thing about my body um come on we can do it. it's a little positivity here yeah yeah um i guess um i don't know i think i got an intense face that gets uh gets gets the swipes i think so <laughs> you do have an intense face you um, yeah. yeah you have uh your your you said your dad was like part lebanese my mom your mom, my mom yeah huh and i look like all the men on her side of the family right it's like yeah so there's that and uh and um you know i could get it's easy for me to get a compliment with the dick pic nice <laughs> all right good 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 okay <laughs> that's so, yeah having a good hog <laughs> is a good thing having that's that's nice you know that's um i feel like that's another you know I, i've talked about this before but like if like i mean you know 
Mine's fine. I'm fine with it. It's very normal, average, like good to go. But like the amount of pressure that's put on that part of your body as well. Then you just can't like, change that it. That you can't fucking change. You can't do anything about. And like, and, and like, you know, people will, yeah, I mean, it, it feels, I feel like it's just sort of open season, you know, on, on like dick shaming, you know? And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's just like, I, I just don't think that it's, I just don't think that it's cool. I don't think that it's, you know, just, I, I, I you know, and again, like that's a thing where it's just like, you know, I, I follow a lot of comedians. I hang out with a lot of comedians and there's going to be dick jokes, of course. And it's just like, yeah, make your joke. But like, also like, I, I hope that people understand that like, you know, people hear that shit and well, then they think it's super it's, patriarchal yeah, as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, it's actually easier for me to talk about the things that I don't like about my body than it is to talk about the things that I do. I, sure. yeah i feel that i feel that it's yeah. it's hard well because i mean why is that you think do you do you think that you feel like you're bragging or you just like draw a blank i it's so funny how i've constructed my world in which like i draw maximum amount of attention to me as a body and i still can't take the compliment i think it's like i don't i don't like bragging i guess mm. would be it or i feel like nervous that i would be bragging which is so funny because i've spent so much of my life being like perfectionist and i think part of that mindset is like this kind of hyper defensive superiority of like thinking i'm better than everyone but like i couldn't actually give myself a compliment i could only right be superior you know <laughs> I'm, I'm better than you but i couldn't tell you why exactly yeah. well i could tell myself why but not you right. <laughs> interesting yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's hard like and again it just feels like if you for a second start to feel good about just like oh yeah like look like i've got like kind of some abs coming in i've got like some definition on my shoulders and then you just like look at an actual jacked dude and you're like oh no wait no i no i don't you know ever you like go to the beach and you like see like you know some just like completely yoked guy and you're just like okay so that's what a body looks like you know and it's just yeah and I, I guess i will say one other thing is like um i always like i'm jealous and would wonder what it would be like for somebody to just have been skinny their whole life and how their skin mm. would like fall on their torso and stuff yeah. like that. And I think would be is different than mine. And um, yeah, there's like a big part of me that just wishes that I wasn't fat when I was a kid. And I think in a certain way, like being in the fitness industry was kind of penance for that, you know, like, mm. like, I think it turned out well and I really love what I do, but I think that there is like this kernel of shame because I'm really driven and I think that like shame is really high octane. It's a, yeah, fuel, it's a good motivator. You know? and, and like, I, I think about that a lot when like, when I'm, when I'm doing like when I'm exercising too, cause like a lot of times I am in my head just like, come on, fucking like, just like get through it, you little bitch. And like, you know, and like, that I sometimes I need that push to where I'm like, I don't want this to get into my head too much and like walk around and like feel bad about myself. But also right now it is helping me push through this and, and actually like get up and do it. Cause like, I, I don't, I don't want to be a little bitch. 
<laughs> no one wants to be a little bitch. No, definitely not. <laughs> so um, you talked a little bit about uh, about this, but so far as uh, the dating world and um, and I guess just, you know, your experience in it, you know, wanting more of like a relationship and not being like super comfortable with with casual stuff. Um, can yeah. you can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, I think in your in your pre-interview question you asked what is there something you feel really inept at and mm. dating was my answer and i think it's because i was only ever single as an adult starting four years ago oh wow um like my ex-boyfriend partner was just basically the first boyfriend i ever had and mm -hmm. we just met in college and he was just like the other gay guy in my social group so i didn't really have to put myself out there on the market and mm. um <clears throat> so that's all just kind of new for me i had like my first ever slut phase when i was 36 <laughs> okay as good of a time as any it took me a while even to get there and i think you know the first thing is like when you're in a long relationship and you break up with somebody all your friends are like oh you can be free now you're liberated now but i didn't actually feel liberated i felt just kind of inept and scared and and i also felt like i had this pressure of what other people expected right. me as a newly single person to like do and so i went on grinder and i just kind of freaked me out because i had been having sex with the same person basically for like 12 years and right. just the familiarity and the kind of low stakes of that situation versus like all right, here I'm going to be like a fuck star mm -hmm. to this stranger who I've never met before. It just was too much pressure and I don't really like it. And, uh, and then I have this background of like feeling like I had something, but I didn't get it right and I want to do over. And so I have, I don't, wouldn't call it pressure, but I do have this longing of like, I, I, I know better now what a relationship would actually take than I did when I was in it because right. despite having been in it for 14 years, I was basically naive because imagine being with your first boy or girlfriend <laughs> for 14 yeah. years. You never get any idea of like how other things could work or who you are without the other person. Yeah. And so in a certain way, being like 32 or 33 until now and being like on my own for the first time and dating people for the first time, maybe being older, I'm a little bit smarter, but I'm also just more cautious. And I think it keeps me from taking chances and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful generally. And I think the further along I get, the more I can kind of think that it's not about this particular person it's that I want to enter into a process and somebody else hopefully will want that too. And it's not like, you know, I think I was getting stuck on in dating of, I went through this period of like, Oh, like this one, this one's definitely the guy. And then it didn't work out. And like, Oh, this one's definitely the guy. And it didn't work out. And it made me realize it's not this one who's the guy it's like somebody who's actually willing to get on this boat with you and if they're not well fuck them then yeah next so starting to learn a little bit but i still feel like i'm in like high school 
dating. <laughs> when you had the like slutty phase, uh, is that something you wanted to do and like get out of your system, or is it something yeah. that you kind of felt like I should do this? No, because it happened like two years in from being single, and it actually was like, okay, I actually want to do this, and it was great. Like I was like meeting guys for a week or something mm -hmm. like that, and just doing things that like surprised me like whoa i didn't think i could do that or like right and w one thing that was really interesting is seeing how other people saw me yeah you know like but then i started kind of even resenting that now i'm just like i'm not just this guy i'm right. not just like hairy fit guy <laughs> like I'm, right. I'm me as well you know and uh that's the at least in the gay world like there because in the hookup thing you kind of get like put into like a role like you're gonna do this to me and because right. of this and right. um you know you're I'm not, the top bottom the top bear or whatever exactly like, yeah, the yeah, whole thing like, and it's yeah. all like in certain way like pre-scripted and then that's the other thing about being in a relationship for so long it's like you don't, you can't, once you're with somebody for a long time, you can't hide behind this mask. And like, it's also going to be boring if you're just going to do one thing or if you're just going to be one way. And uh, so I feel like blessed and cursed by it because I feel like I have maybe a bigger picture because I have definitely gone on dates with people my age who never had a boyfriend ever. Mm -hmm. And that really like scares me. Um, like you never even tried, you never even thought maybe I'll give it a year. Right. <laughs> I mean, just because they were, they were just like constantly just like doing the casual sex yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, so I definitely don't want that. Um, yeah. yeah, I think my next slut phase, I want to be with one person though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just, just a lot of sex with the, with the one person. Yeah. I mean, I had that with one guy for a little while, but, um, in the end I didn't like him and it's yeah. no matter how good your sex is, like if you don't like him, yeah, it eventually stops being good. <laughs> yeah, no, it stops. I mean, that, that is the fun part though. You know, those first couple of weeks where you're just like, you know, you're just fucking each other's brains out yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And then you're just like, wow, this is really exciting. And like, you know, it, it, it feels like, you know, it's, they got a word for it. It's limerence, you know? And like, that's, um, really limerence yeah limerence limerence two m's li limerence i don't know how to spell it okay i've only heard melissa broder talk about it on her podcast and that's like and like that's that first early fuck energy early fuck energy the the like early intrigue and attraction the spark and people get addicted to that yeah and like i've had phases where like i that's all i wanted and like once you actually like start to sink in and like know the person then it's too much. It's too real. And you're like, Oh, like I'm annoyed with this person right now. Yeah. And my journey with that was just understanding that like, no, to love somebody is to get annoyed with them frequently. And yeah. like it happens and you're going to have those kinds of problems because you're spending a lot of time with the whole other person. And it's okay if you, get angry it's okay if you get resentful it's okay if you have fights and and get annoyed with them sometimes so long as you settle that you know and and me like my what what younger brad would do is was just like think like oh i'm starting to like you know kind of get annoyed with this person so i think this isn't going to work out where i was you know 
what what you have to do is just sort of like weigh out like am i just annoyed with them or is this like a deal breaker you know yeah and i think the other thing is like you annoy them as well oh yeah and then the I'm thing, annoying as fuck but then the thing underneath that i think that maybe the annoyance comes from is like this person once you get close to them could really fuck your life up i yeah. mean they could make you cry for days they could leave you yeah they could embarrass you they could cut you in ways that like other people can't because they know you so well and so like of course you're going to get annoyed with them because they basically have one knife pointed right at you that they could use at any time so yeah that's you know i'm starting to think like the further i get from my last relationship but then also the more clear i get that i want another relationship it makes me think like god damn how people actually do this is crazy you take a complete stranger and if it goes well you turn them into like somebody who knows you better than anybody else yeah you live somebody together you share like finances or whatever you're gonna do and it's like wow that is a huge ask yeah of yourself and of somebody else to like yeah. go from i don't know you to like you're right next to me is fucking scary yeah it's really scary and i think it's better to be aware of the fear and maybe that's what age does right is that you're actually aware of the the craziness and not just like oh yeah i think i'll have a boyfriend i think my my tinder profile like my last one before i met caitlin how i met caitlin uh the last line in it was just let's wait for death together <laughs> okay <laughs> that's great <laughs> so i mean you know that was that's essentially what i was i mean i was making a joke but you know it's it, it you know i guess i guess that's what i guess that's what caitlin and i are doing now well, so it that's is like Leo, really close to five years later you it's know? not a, it's not like nice but that's like what what it's for right because yeah. you could just die alone yeah i don't you know um there's this comedian I really like, uh, Jen Kirkman, who had this book about uh, I'm going to die alone and I feel fine with that mm-hmm. because she talked about how her grandmother was married for, you know, something like 50, 60 years or whatever and still died alone because he died first or whatever. Or, you know, like you can't control when and where you're going to die necessarily. So she was just like, OK, then fuck it. Like, I, I guess I'll just, you know, that, that was her whole approach to the, I guess, anxiety of dying alone. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I, uh, I guess I, I don't really, I, I don't think about that part much. Do you think about, do you think about death a lot? I mean, I don't, I think about it in terms of just like, it's omnipresent, but I don't think of it in terms of just like one day I'm going to be old and die. I think of just like, eh, I'm probably going to die soon. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I have that anxiety. Yeah. I think I think about death a lot. When I was a kid, I used to think about it like a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I, yeah i mean i've had some family members die in the past year and uh i think less my death i think about and more just like that things keep going after somebody dies and that also when people die it's not automatically just like oh we're all so sad because they were so great there are plenty of times when people die when you people might be glad that they're gone Mm. or when they maybe had already given up and that's that's kind of where the sadness is it's like 
there are certain people that aren't going to get missed and there are certain people that, and, and they did it to themselves in a way. And, uh, that's actually really tough. I think the recent deaths in my family are kind of like that. It's like, yeah, it's sad that they're gone, but, um, they weren't really, they weren't especially making life great for the people around them while they were here. Right. I don't know who, who was it like in, um, in your life with that? I mean, you know, however much you want to go into it. Mm, well, I guess around August of 2020, my uncle died at, I think 55 mm-hmm. and he was like a lifelong drug addict. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he got in a car accident and he had been in so many car accidents before, and he was really on kind of a downward trajectory. Yeah. I mean, kind of always, but in the recent years, like he really went downhill. And the thing that's really sad about it is that it just seemed like this time everybody kind of gave up on him. Like Mm -hmm. his family gave up on him and then it seemed like he gave up on himself. And then like, I also feel like I gave up on him. Yeah. And the thing is, is that he was such a great guy in so many ways, but he also really made life hell for his family and his kids. And that's another thing about death is like, especially because I'm very moralistic um, and I, I try to live ethically and I have to recognize in me and other people, maybe other people more, but still um, there's nobody who's all the way good. Yeah. And there's also nobody who's all the way bad and like people die and they're like a mix of those things. And um, that's a pretty tough contradiction to hold to know that somebody can be like a great guy, but also be, you know, torture for his family at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, what other people's, you know, impression and narrative is of you. Um, can you talk a little bit about your own inner narrative and your own like kind of, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of tone is the voice in your head usually talking to you with? So is it I'd- good or bad? the voice that I talk to myself with, you know, I think I have like two modes. I have like Jason's doing good mode and Jason's doing bad mode. Mm -hmm. And then Jason's doing good mode is very, um, almost like filled with wonder. Like I could walk around prospect park sometimes high, but not always. And just think about just kind of the bigness of life and how I feel like I've, been smart with some of my life and how things are working out well for me and um this is the the jason that um projects things out in the future and knows that he can accomplish them because he's accomplished good things before and then the other side of that is like the hyper critical side the side of me that like yells at myself in the mirror and like thinks that I'm just 
this close to being better. Uh, it's either like hypercritical anger at myself or it's like this kind of desperation of just like, oh, if only I could just be a little bit better. If only I could just be a yeah. little more stable or if only I knew this much more. Um, and it's funny because they they kind of operate in the same way. Like when I'm doing well, it's like, look at all the, here are 10 steps that I can make to like my five-year plan. That's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And when I'm like, doing what bad it's like here are 10 steps that i've made to completely fuck my life up right you know and they still operate in terms of this very goal-oriented um kind of personal responsibility lens but it's a double-edged sword sometimes it's just really yeah. i kind of stick myself with it yeah i mean that's what i've come to learn is that the bad narrative in my head is always going to be there so what I've spent the last, you know, several years of my life doing is trying to harness that and make it into at least something that's going to be funny, relatable, um, and, and sort of capture it and, you know, catch the mean voice in my head saying something really fucked up to me and just be like, that was a good one. That was really <laughs> fucking funny. What I just said to myself and try and like put that out in a way that's just like, yeah, no, this is this is what this is also what's going on in my head. I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, doing great all the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe I lean a little too far the other way yeah. sometimes, um, but it's only because I have such a negative torrent of thought in my head all the time that mm -hmm. it's just like this is about all that's going on in there. Do, 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 I suck, you know, and like so like the way that I've decided to deal with that is to channel it into something and, and, and try and, you know, just put it out there in some way. And hopefully it resonates with people. I think for me, this like dual, this kind of, I'm either really good or I'm mm -hmm. really bad thing is just kind of my natural state potentially as a Gemini. But I think like, it's just in my history, like earlier I was talking about being able to transform my eating disorder into like a fitness career. And like, I think that just exposes that kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing. It's like, I was really bad. And so now I'm going to be really good. And like, uh, um, like the, um, the voice in my head is just always going between those two. And it's amazing how like quickly things can shift from like, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm doing so well, but except, Oh, here comes the like parade of things that I didn't do to make myself better. Basically, um, and I think that I have to kind of watch out for like ambition and watch out for these, this goal orientation that I have, because if I am not doing well, it's going to turn into like self attack and self sabotage. Right. Like even to the point where like, I'll be so hard on myself in terms of meeting a goal that there's going to be another part of me that wants to just kind of like fuck it up. Like the you rebel against yourself, rebel against myself. Semester. Yeah. Like I'll be outwardly trying to be like the perfect person. And then like inwardly, if I'm too hard on myself, I'll be like smoke too much weed yeah. or just like, you know, like I have do that, something yeah. to yeah. do something to just kind of like, stick a knife in the yeah. wrench in the gears yeah. a little yeah. bit. <laughs> it's a self-destructive thing. I feel that like I will sometimes when I'm pouring myself for opening like a, like a drink that I know is like one too many, <laughs> there'll just be this like voice in my head. That's just like, mm, you're going to regret this. I'm like, 
good, motherfucker. I want to regret it. Exactly. Now, fuck that. No, yeah. Uh-huh. That shit. Fuck you. <laughs> like, and just like, and just be like, oopsie. Gonna just like toss this one uh-huh. back too, and like, and just sort of, you know, it is this really like flippant kind of like shitty attitude that I get with myself. Where it's like, fuck you, dad. Like, and it, but it's just me. And Except it's just the my dad own, is you. Yeah, my own self concern <laughs> is just like, you don't want to fucking wake up all dried out and hung over tomorrow, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> um so with uh therapy um you said you started therapy about like what four years ago yeah after uh after your breakup yeah uh um what type what mode of therapy is it that you're doing um so the guy i'm with now it's psychodynamic which Mm -hmm. i guess is basically like psychoanalysis light yeah um which i'm into that and uh it's funny because now like especially post COVID cause I started working again cause like gyms are open again and mm-hmm. yoga studios, but like I'm feeling pretty good these days. And it's weird to think about what therapy is when you're not like in a crisis and yeah. I'm trying to become more comfortable around that. My therapist is just this great, sweet guy who just gives me these puppy dog eyes and just like is so understanding and Mm -hmm. smiles and takes time with me which is like the exact opposite of what i think that i need which i think i think i need some kind of hard-ass taskmaster but my therapist i think understands that i already am that for myself and what i actually need is like some compassion and some time and he's really good at that and uh we do it online, which I don't love, but yeah, um, it kind of is what it is right now. Uh, I've been able. Does I think, he live to get here there. in New York? Is he? Able he lives to, like... in Connecticut, but he, oh, okay. when I was seeing him, like in person, he would come down to New York, and I think wow. that's going to happen again in the future. But um, therapy is great, and it's actually better than self help, which is what I also have done a lot of. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing about self help is that it's kind of like being in like a solitary confinement in a way like you can read all this stuff but there's no one to self-help sounds great Mm -hmm. because it's all the ways that you can make your life good but the thing is is like i think the dirty underside of self-help is like here are all the ways in which you're not doing well and that you just need to try harder and harder and harder and it's not good for me to need to try harder because I already do that. I think you already got that. I got that. So what I need is somebody to be like, you're doing okay. You just need to relax or feel your feelings or like be sad or like be down. Um, and, um, that's, it's really hard for me to actually let myself slow down, chill out. And as my therapist would say, like, feel the feeling and mm-hmm. that's all you need to do with it is feel it. I tend to want to like solve it, which I think is a very man thing. Yeah. I, you know, I've had this experience a couple of times, a couple of times in therapy where I'll receive sort of that compassion from my therapist. Just be like, it's fine. Like, it's okay. Feel it. And, and just like get more emotional, like cry harder than I thought I was going to. And mm-hmm. just like, Whoa, Whoa, shit. There's a lot coming out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, but <clears throat> that happened one time to me when I wasn't even at a therapist's office. I was at just like a regular like physical doctor. I don't even remember what they were doing. Um, I had some, like I was like at an urgent care or something. And like, this was when like, you know, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still like my health insurance situation is pretty shitty cause uh, I live in America. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I was like avoiding going to the doctor for a long time. I was just like, I can't fucking, I can't do it. And then finally I went to the doctor for this thing and the nurse, it wasn't even the doctor. It was like the nurse was in the room just like asking me about like 
what was happening. And uh, she drew some blood and was just like so gentle with mm-hmm. me and was just like, oh, you must be really, like really feeling bad. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, and just like and just like being really nice and like and treating me like I mattered. And I just started crying. <laughs> Yeah. Like, with a needle in my arm, you know, just like <laughs> just like sitting there, just like yeah, I do matter, like, and you know, and just like for the first time, just like letting myself feel, just like oh, I'm being taken care of, and like this is kind of nice, and I don't have to do all this shit by myself, and I don't have to be the fucking man, and like you know, take all this shit on myself and yeah. break my teeth. Yeah, you know? and it's totally like a man thing. You know what? I can't stand when my therapist. I mean, I love it, but I can't stand it. Is like when he just like says that he likes me or he like looks at me and Mm -hmm. like or he compliments me or something i or even tells me like that it's okay to be like however i am i just i immediately want to like tell him like stop it don't tell me it's okay um i think that's like a man thing right yeah no it's it's that scene from goodwill hunting right it's that like it's not your fault scene oh yeah (laughs) just like (laughs) stepping towards him yeah it totally is i mean and that's the thing is that you know i try and think of myself as you know a more sort of evolved guy who's trying to purge himself of all that like toxic masculinity bullshit um but i still anytime like when people are too soft with me or too sincere i do squirm and I do get this sort of just like, ooh, like, don't be, don't be like a little bitch about it. Don't be like, I don't like, nah, this is too, this is too soft, bro. Like it makes me feel makes, weak. Yeah. It makes me feel like out of control or something. Yeah. And that, and, and I think what it most, what most scares me is like what my reaction would be. Like if I let myself smile too much or if I let myself really take in the good vibes, like then I'll somehow be exposed or. Yeah like I'll be kind of the armor will be down and who knows what could happen. Yeah. I think this is why, like, I mean, especially having gone to art school, I have like kind of a love hate thing with like hippie ish dudes uh-huh. who are like really like soft granola people. Yeah, that's just so fake though. It is usually, <laughs> but like, it's also just like, there is this type of guy who just is this like very like soft kind of guy that just doesn't care about like if he, is being masculine enough, quote unquote, or if he, you know, like can, I don't know, uh, stand a like physical confrontation or whatever, or, or is going to like kowtow to people and, and like is allowed to just say like, Oh, that guy was really scary. Like I was afraid of that person or like anything like that. Because like, I feel like I can't fucking admit that to anybody, even if like I am like in a public area and there's some like creepy fucking scary dude and he's like that that dude's like huge and he's like wearing camo and he's like fucking scary and jacked and like i i don't want to fuck with him i still like kind of act like yeah but like whatever like i'm not fucking i'm not gonna back down to that little fucking guy like (laughs) like, it's just like it's just so so silly like why why do i like i've never i have only a couple of times been like physically challenged in my life and but I'm always like ready for it. And I think that's another like weird, maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. Just like having this, like I'll fucking fight you, (laughs) you know, like kind of attitude. So that's kind of, that's interesting to hear because like, I think as a gay man, uh, like I feel like something similar, but it's a mutant version of that. Like Mm -hmm. where I feel like, I feel like threatened because like I'm gay. And so maybe somebody might like, but then the thing about being gay is that, you can eroticize these like 
power dynamics in a way like where it's like if i see like a really big dude like you know part of me wants to fuck him interesting <laughs> even if i'm like scared of him you know yeah <laughs> i had this thing happen to me i was in uh where was i i was in like i think i was in new orleans doesn't really matter where i was i was in this bar and i, I was kind of out of my element i didn't know where i was like you know i'd never been there before um and this big dude this big fucking burly dude walked past me and just sort of like looked me right in the eyes and just sort of looked me up and down and then just like kind of like walked like stepped a little too close to me and walked past and like my guard went up like really fast i was just like does he think like is he like trying to like challenge me like am i gonna have to like fight is he's like about to be like hey, whatever little art fag like, little pussy like but like and then he just like walked off and then like i was just like oh shit like and then my friend leaned in who saw the whole thing was just like, that guy just cruised you so hard. Did you see that? And I was just like, oh, he wanted to fuck me. He thought yeah. I was hot. Like, I, I did not pick up on that at all. I was like, you want to go? Like, <laughs> it was really weird. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that's that's an interesting dynamic to pick up on the, uh, uh, I don't know, like the yeah, it, turning turning kind of a potential physically threatening person into, uh, you know, a, a, a horny situation is interesting yeah but then also that reignites the threat as well and like that's that's maybe like a tension that maybe gay guys feel um in like the world of men is like they're either going to be discovered for they don't want to get too close to men because they're going to be discovered for being like gay yeah and then but then like it's it's tough you know um I love that your podcast about masculinity because um, I, <laughs> um, I've actually done some field work in the masculinity area. I went. Have you ever heard of these like these like initiation weekends? These like masculine initiation no. weekends in the woods. So I went to one. Tell me about this. Um, okay, so it's called the Mankind Project, but there are several okay. versions of these. And uh, my dad went to it when he divorced my mom. I guess he was about fifty. Um, and uh basically the idea is like you and a group of maybe like 20 other men you go into like some place in the woods and it's this like weekend long like experience where like you're initiated into like the world of like men or whatever and uh the one i went to was like specifically for gay guys but okay. you could go i could have gone to a there's like co-ed I, ones so to speak yeah they're all for men but i could have gone to like this the whoever they also have some for men of color too um but the whole thing is the same basically where you go this was at a jewish um sleepaway camp in upstate new york um but it was during like march or around this time so none of them were there but then you go up there and it lasts from like friday night to like sunday evening and you have no idea what's going to happen you go there and over the course of this weekend you start out being like kind of threatened and put through some kind of psychological challenges and then kind of at the heart of the weekend like what is like games and shit or like no challenges? like for like for example like you go there and you don't know where you're gonna sleep and like you have to show your like backpack to like some buddy who's working there and they like dump all of the contents on the floor and make you pick them up like kind of okay. in intimidation kind okay. of stuff you start out it's very intimidating you know that you're like an underling and there are people who've gone through it like and they're like above you and then 
over the course of the weekend, you build trust with these other guys to the point where kind of at the heart of the weekend, you're undergoing this psychological thing that's super intense and it's front in front of all these other men that you just met and it's like just things come up that you know that these men including myself had never told anybody deep deep pain people are bawling screaming and and then by the end you just feel this huge deep like connection to all these people and so much of it relates to like eye contact Mm-hmm. which I guess is like a cult thing. And this was a little culty, except there wasn't really a leader and you could just leave at the end. Right. So, but it did have that kind of really intense, high demand kind of yeah, aspect. Yeah, yeah. But when you first get there, um, you're like, why are all these men looking at me dead in the eyes? And it's threatening, right? Yeah. Because if somebody were, yeah. just, if some man were just look you right in the eyes, for, for like the listener, the subway, we're making like, we're making like really, uh, sustained yeah, eye contact like, right now is that could weird. be super threatening <laughs> yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah but then by the end you're making contact with these guys that you shared such like this intimate experience and like everybody's like crying and like hugging yeah. and stuff and just as a gay man all the other people were gay too but it made me realize how i've spent so much of my life purposefully avoiding eye contact mm-hmm. with men because i thought they were going to think that i was like looking too long and maybe it's a man thing in general because of like checking and like yeah. aggression and stuff like that. But, um, whether you're gay or not, I do have a, this idea that men are just socialized to just be completely cut off from each other and yeah. atomized. And, and that's why their partners can suffer for, because you take somebody who's never opened up to anybody before, yep. and then you just, barf it all on this one person you know (laughs) or you don't which was my problem you just never open up at all and uh then that becomes like a big problem too and there's got to be a way for men to like learn how to open doors like not too much but safely and yeah it's hard i mean that's i mean intimacy of any level is is difficult relationship intimacy and sexual intimacy like that's that's its own own challenge but i think i mean yeah growing up probably 90 percent of my best friends were women really yeah because i just have an easier time bonding with them because there does seem to be just less of a like this this sort of standoffish wall mm-hmm. that you have to like pass and like you know sort and if of, you're like, not in the club like yeah. you're not playing sports or yeah. you're not whatever then you're not part of that man exchange that they have over yeah. there in their locker room or whatever. yeah i mean that was like i didn't really play much in the way of like sports and like wasn't you know i just didn't have a whole lot of those areas and like all of my other like my good friends were mostly other like kind of weird dudes like yeah. me and we bonded yeah. over just being sort of like weird and like the class clowns and 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 just sort of like the strange you know like smart but not doing great in school kind of kids you know but the thing about it is though is like being a man and then maybe starting to learn how to become more intimate it it can trip you up a little bit because i remember when i was coming back from this like man weekend experience i felt totally like transformed and like Mm -hmm. i had opened up and blah 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 and i was like 
kind of seeing this guy that didn't like me, but I was just like, oh my God. And like, I just want to share all my feelings with him. It just like, it's like, maybe if you haven't, if you haven't had the training to learn how to like open up to the world, like in stages, and then all of a sudden you just get like broken open, like, you know, then you have to like learn how to rein it in a little bit and control how it gets out and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it kind of is like what we were talking about when somebody is really sincere with you and, and says something about like how they, you know, they like you or what a thing that they like about you, Mm -hmm. then you get uncomfortable and you squirm. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, it's, again, it's finding that, balance of just you know boundaries boundaries are, are are a weird issue because there's so many like unspoken rules and like all that like guy code fucking bullshit with with like ways you're supposed to like interact and become friends with with men and mm-hmm. like i've never fully figured it out you know yeah and the boundaries thing is interesting too because um i was just thinking about this recently like you could say like, I have really good boundaries. I don't let people fuck with me, blah, blah, blah. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's can be like kind of a man thing to like put up this stoic face and be like, nothing phases me, nothing bothers me. And the thing is like, if you think about it, that is like the most cuck, like weak stance that you could actually be in. Because that means that like, if I'm so hard and so stoic that I don't, that anybody could do anything to me and I wouldn't react that means that basically like I'm a little bitch and I'll let whoever do whatever they want to me. And I won't even say my feelings. And so like, you could think like, I have really good boundaries because like, I don't let people fuck with me, but you could actually have like actually have the worst boundaries because you don't even respond when something has given you reason to, you know? Yeah. Um, so what drew you to yoga it, 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 it's of all the uh, disciplines of exercise? What was it about yoga that really stuck with you and made you want to dedicate your you know, career to it? Um, I had thought like I wanted to be like personal trainer or something like that. Um, but then at the, uh, the office that I worked at when I got out of college, like um, they had a yoga teacher and the way that she seemed to kind of hold this huge plethora of knowledge which i know is now is complete bullshit but just that mystique of like yoga teachers seem to really know a lot they seem to like she seemed to have this encyclopedic knowledge of the body that Mm -hmm. just really fascinated me and i think what i really liked about yoga was that um it had this kind of grander spiritual context i know i I, i'm into the history of yoga but i never kind of took the like the yoga pill of like you know what i'm talking about the kind of spiritualism of it but what really did you don't have an ohm tattoo or anything no 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 no. well i mean there's one right above the whale's tail back there but you know (laughs) um the uh the i think that it was a little psychedelic for me is that I could have this bodily experience, but it would kind of like open my mind was really attractive. And it reminded me of like, like psychedelics basically, or also of art. And I think the emphasis of like skill and like practice and dedication, which you have if you're like a personal trainer too. But I think 
the gym is so much about just like going there, getting it done, looking mm-hmm. good. But yoga had this element of like study to it, which like reminded me of, well, like I played piano from the time I was like four till I was like 17. And it re- reminded me of kind of putting in the hours and, yeah. um, and, and it gave me a way to be into my body that wasn't just like about feeling like I needed to look a certain way. Yeah. It gave me a feeling of kind of mastery of skills, which just is, it has its own competitive bullshit associated with it, but I could just really get into that more. Yeah. yeah. And I think yoga is also like the gift that keeps on giving. If you think about it in the right way, you could do it forever. You might not be able to stand on one hand forever, but you can, that relationship that you develop with your body of introspection and care is lifelong. I mean, it was the first uh, uh, exercise discipline, I guess, that I really got into. Like I... I swam a little bit in high school. Mm. It was like doing lap swimming and, and I liked that okay. But like the first time that I really started studying yoga was in college because I had like free classes that yeah. bring in a yoga instructor. And just um, the feeling, I, th- I think you were describing it, of, of just getting into your body and feeling yourself balance and becoming aware of the way your, you know, your muscles are working, like which muscles are engaged, which muscles are, can, you can relax where you can move, like where you stack your bones and things like that. And then just applying that and just walking around in the world. And I noticed that like, oh, I'm like knocking things over less and, you yeah. know, and just like, I'm able to like physically just move stronger and more gracefully. Just, you know, even if I'm not on the yoga mat, like I can just, I can, cause I'm aware of what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know? That, that's kind of the fun part for me. And there's something about that graceful movement that just really gets you into your head. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really love swimming and it gives me that same kind of thing. Like, how am I pulling the water? Mm-hmm. Am I doing it in the most efficient way? And just that kind of like skill applied to um, moving your body. Just it turns on something in my brain that's yeah. super calming and it's meditative, yeah. you know, and, and like, I guess different people find different exercises that do. I've heard people talk about this with jujitsu as well. That yeah. like It's so intense. And this is like, I've just started to delve into that world. I've been doing like kickboxing for a minute oh, and, cool. and like, it's so intense that you, you can't really be thinking about much else you know, um, especially if you're like sparring with somebody, like you have to fucking like pay attention or you're going to like get one in the face. Yeah. So like, um, it, you know, when I, I know you bike as well and, mm-hmm. and that's a thing that I like about biking. Um, and you know, I've, I've, um, I had a, a moped for a minute and a motorcycle for a minute and I really liked that process too, because, it's you have to fucking concentrate and you can't be thinking about like, Oh, what am I doing with my day and my career? And like, what's my life going? Cause you'll die. You know? <laughs> and, and so you have to like be there, yeah. you know? And that's, what's nice about it. Yeah. I don't really think about that in terms of biking, but, uh, uh, I get what you're saying. Biking is usually just like listening to my tunes, yeah. going to the beach, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, the, the yoga thing, it's like, 
it also is very solitary, which I think suits my mood, but yeah. it also can be like limiting. I wonder how I would do in something like jujitsu because I'm actually terrified of competition. And I, if I think if I got into a situation that was like a kind of gamified competition, it probably yeah. loosen me up a little bit and probably make me better at dating. Honestly, I'm hoping that's what it, I'm hoping that's what it does for me. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking or I'm looking into gyms now and like you know like now yeah. that I'm vaccinated and everything, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, I can do this safely and like you know this this is might be a thing for me to pick up and you know and feels a little weird honestly to be picking up such an intense sport when I'm like 36. You know, because I'm like I'm gonna fucking die out there. But you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch your knees. I heard I the jujitsu is really bad on the knees or yeah. I don't have knee problems with knees so much as my hips. My hips are just weak as shit or they're like inflexible. Yeah. I think that's going to be a problem. Um, can you do yoga or any kind of exercise when you're high or do you prefer not no, to? No, no. It makes me too weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could ride my bike to the beach when I'm high sure. and stuff like that, but I can't like do yoga or go to the gym. No, I can't mm. do it. And I know people who can, but to me it just... I think it's also because I'm really into like sativas because I kind of like to freak out. So. Right. Yeah. You like, <laughs> like a headier It just makes me like too, too, I get too detailed and too like mm. off. And uh, yeah, I can't really. Do I've it. tried it and I think it just makes it. I always think that it's going to make me like just relax more and kind of get into it. Uh, but it makes me feel like the, the sort of the, it depends on the exercise I'm doing, but like the pain of it, like mm -hmm. just gets more intense. And okay. like, I just feel like, feel my biceps engaging. I'm like, how long is this going to be? Cause uh. like, it's just all more vivid, you know? Yeah. And, and so like, yeah, I, I, I usually don't like to, um, I guess like, like Caitlin's good at it. She, she really? likes to, yeah, she likes to do yoga when she's a little stoned, which is cool. That's funny. That's um, interesting. <clears throat> I mean, not all the time, but like, you know, she, she can and will, yeah. and she's just like, and she like, suggest that to me sometimes you know just like oh like like smoke and do your kettlebells and i'm like absolutely no, like, no. I also like, like it's also like you you know smoking weed makes your heart rate go up yeah. and then it's like what am i gonna do when my heart rate's up and then i'm also like busting <laughs> out kettlebells like am i gonna pop <laughs> yeah no i mean like I've, I've gotten to where like i'm doing you know a pretty intense kettlebell routine now and like my cardio is pretty good and uh -huh. it's gotten pretty good um because of just all the like you know biking and and boxing is very like cardio centered but uh but the i get to where i'm i'm doing a couple of you know uh uh um uh, cleans or, or not the uh, not cleans uh so let me just flip it straight up snatch snatch a snatch i'm doing i'm doing a bunch of snatches in sequence mm -hmm. and then i just feel like Oh, I'm going to pass out and just drop this thing on my head because yeah, right? like my heart rate is just like, doo, 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 doo. yeah. You know? And so like, I can't picture doing it when I'm, when I'm higher. I do really I'm like the crazy. kettlebell thing because it has that skill aspect mm -hmm. that just like going to the gym doesn't like one. I learned how to do like, um, like, um, uh, a clean yeah. and not bruise my forearm. I was yeah. like, yes. Cause you, you catch it on the way up and it's just yeah. like i love those kinds of things yeah, yeah well you sort of like twist your hip just a little bit and mm -hmm. sort of like so you know you uh you absorb you know so you're not just like hitting straight on your, yeah. on your wrist i remember the first time i actually managed to do a uh a, a, I fucking forgot the word again oh my god a snatch. a snatch yeah a snatch with um with the 53 pounds like that was like Whoa! I was just like, "Oh my god, serious, Brad! Like, holy yeah. shit! That's the twenty-four, know, right? 24, 24 kilogram. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, I've um, done that. Yet. It, it was. I mean, I also like tore a hole in my hand yeah, doing that because nice. like I, I just got like excited and just like kept doing it and then like set it down and just like looked at my hand. <laughs> a <laughs> flap of skin hanging off of my palm, but wow. um, it was yeah, that was like an exhilarating moment where it's just like you know it's like the first time you like achieve like a headstand mm-hmm. or a handstand or whatever. And yeah, it's like I'm doing it. This is great. Like you know, like it was just it was a really sublime moment. You know, totally. It was really nice. Um, so it, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I don't, I think I'm good with, yeah. with what we've been talking about. Okay. Yeah. I think cool. We all the yeah. Notes. Um, yeah. I think we've, I think we've, we've, we've hit this pretty well. Um, so I, you know, I always like to give, give my guests a chance to like plug, you know, what they're doing and, mm-hmm. and how people might find you. I know you do like online yoga classes and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, where yeah, can people so, find you? Uh, you can find my Instagram at Jason O yoga and I teach at Equinox and I teach at some studios in Brooklyn. You can take my class online at brooklynflow.com and uh, hopefully I'll see you in person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great, man. This was great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks once again to Jason Orell for coming on the show. Uh, It was a fun talk and I hope y'all got something out of that about masculinity, about body image, about exercise. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope we all got, I got something out of it. I hope Jason got something out of it. I hope he had fun. I, I, I hope he's still listening if he, if he listened to this episode. And I'm going to give Jason and, and all of you a little bit of homework this week. He was talking at the beginning of the episode about feeling afraid to put himself out there and, uh, you know, uh, how that can be really difficult. Um, and I feel that. That is something that has, has held me back throughout my entire adult life and uh, so my challenge to everybody listening is uh, put yourself out there in some way this week do a thing make a post at the very least just like make a fucking tweet make a make an Instagram story about hey I made my little uh, house house music uh, thing I made my I made this house music album in uh, in quarantine do it it's good what are they gonna say this fucking sucks man I hate house music like what what's gonna happen I made some house music while I was in quarantine. I thought you might listen to FUCK YOU! Is that what... <laughs> I mean, that would actually be kind of funny, right? That would... That reaction would make my day. If I premiered my podcast and, like, posted on social media and the first post I got was just somebody saying, FUCK YOU, BRAD! I would love that. Anyway, it'll... You know, it probably won't be that extreme. The reaction. It'll probably be positive. It'll be positive. So that's your assignment this week. Music is by Shea Bartell. Follow me at Bradical Pearson on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Self Worst, this show that you are listening to, um, uh, on Instagram as well at Self Worst uh, on Instagram. Uh, you know, and I post. I post about the show, I post updates, and I post, uh, I post some fun uh, sadness memes, depression memes, and, uh, you know, some just regular shit posts occasionally, and uh, it's great. It's a, it's a good outlet and a fun follow. Do it. All right. Whatever. I, I'm tired. I'm already just, like, so out of steam. Um, uh, <laughs> hope y'all are doing well, and, uh... Until next time, I'm Brad Pearson, and 
uh, oh, I fucked that up. <laughs> I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail like I do. It's good for you.